welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for this special series, Women's Conference 2023 on Fellowship. This is Stillwater Bible Church's Women's Conference that they held in 2023, and they had several breakout sessions as well as a special guest speaker. We hope that you enjoy these lessons. Thanks again for joining us. My bio, as my bio says, I am gratefully married to Brent for 15 years, and we I'm very blessed to have three children, Millie, Greta, and George. Um, God has really given me a passion, I guess, for marriage and parenting, just to be intentional in my own life with that, and also to, I guess, encourage others in that as well. And I think the reason for that a little bit is because I think those two areas are kind of that foundational building block that God has designed uh, for society, right, just the basis. I think also those two areas are key areas that are really under attack from Satan at this point in our world. He wants to break that down because if he breaks down that, then it's just kind of a breakdown of God's design, right? Um, and then I think the third reason I think I have a passion for it is since if God has made you a mom and wife, I feel like that is a key path that he's designed for our spiritual maturity, just something that he has for refinement in our lives, right? Is marriage and parenting refining? Yes, it is. But despite my passion, teaching and preparing for this talk has actually been quite intimidating. Um, one, because of the reality that I am not a perfect parent and I fall short every day, right? Um, also, I think it's intimidating a little bit because there's a variety of philosophies and ways of going about this. There is a lot of freedom in parenting choices. Um, so that can be a little intimidating. But I just pray that this morning you would be encouraged um, on this journey of motherhood and parenting. And I do pray to you that the authority that I point to today would be God's word and not just my own opinion, but I will share my opinion in some ways today. Mm -hmm. So as I start, I wanted to read a little story. This is Sacred Parenting by Gary Thomas. Very good read if you haven't read it. Um, so a young father followed the same routine every evening. He went into the kitchen, opened a cupboard, and took out a glass. He then walked over to a cupboard, pulled out a cookie jar, took out two or three cookies, and put them on a plate. Then he went to the refrigerator, got some milk, and poured himself a tall glass. Following that, he walked into the living room and enjoyed his milk and cookies while sitting in his favorite chair. One evening, as he was heading into the kitchen for his nightly ritual, the father noticed his three-year-old son heading into the kitchen ahead of him. The boy had a determined look on his face. Instead of announcing his presence, the father decided to stay unobserved so that he could watch what his son seemed so determined to do. I was really humbled by that part because I thought I wouldn't have even stopped to watch. I would have been like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> the boy pulled out several drawers, essentially making steps so he could climb onto the counter, something he was forbidden to do. Next, he walked across the counter, another no-no, and opened an upper cupboard door. He reached in and pulled out a glass, knocking over several other glasses in the process. The young boy placed his glass down, hopped off the counter, then picked up his glass and put it on the floor. He marched to the refrigerator, pulled out the milk, and poured it into the glass. The flowing milk proved too strong for his little hands, and it spilled over the top of the glass. The little boy wiped up the spilled milk with his shirt. Then he left his milk, walked over to another cupboard, and pulled out the cookie jar. This was strictly forbidden. 
The son knew he wasn't supposed to get cookies without permission, but he reached in and while doing so, pulled several other cookies out of the jar. The boy put them back and wiped up the crumbs with his now milk-soaked shirt. The father had seen enough and stepped out to intercept his son, expecting him to be terrified when he realized judgment had arrived. Instead, he was greeted by a huge smile. Here are your cookies, Dad. I love you. I know, right? Tears. <laughs> so in this story, I want you to place yourself in the son's position, not the dad's. We're the little child trying to serve our Heavenly Father and yet making a lot of messes in the process. We can't reach as high as we'd like, so we make do with makeshift steps to reach the counter. We knock over a few glasses and we spill the milk while trying to prepare a drink. Lacking all wisdom, we come up with a great idea of cleaning up the mess with our shirt instead of with a washcloth. But wet dad wouldn't feel touched by such a display of service, however messy it might be. We're not the best parents, not by far. We don't have all the wisdom we'd like. We don't understand how everything fits together. We make mistakes, we make messes. We can do everything wrong, but God looks at us with a father's delighted eyes. Where we see weakness, God sees humility. Where we see messes, God sees intent. Where we see failings, God sees motives. And he smiles. He takes us into his arms and he laughs a delighted father's laugh. So, with that in mind, oh, see, I'm terrible about clicking my slides. <laughs> it was my milk and cookies. Okay, so thinking about the idea of delight, today I wanted to focus on two Ds of how God parents us, and this will not be exhaustive. And there's so much more to how God parents us than what I'm going to share today. But these are the two that I'm focusing on. So the first one is the fact that God delights in us. And the second one, God disciplines us. As a loving father, both are there. So we're going to start with delight. And delight is the idea of love. A couple of definitions that I have up there. Love is to prefer, to take pleasure in, to prize above other things, to be unwilling to abandon. And I think the other one that comes to my mind most is the idea of to do what is best for another without thought of return. So our Father delights in us. He does what is best for us without thought of return. I want to look at some passages of how God delights in us. My mouth is so dry. I thought about chewing gum, but then that would be rude. I'm talking, isn't it? Okay. So familiar passage there, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So ways that God demonstrated his delight. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. And Ephesians 2.4 But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. So from these passages, and there's many others that we could look at, how do we see that God manifested his delight in us? So he gave, he gives, or he sent to meet our needs, to give us good gifts, and to seek fellowship with us. So, Let's look at how he met our needs. We see from those passages that he met our greatest need for spiritual life. We were dead, and he made us alive. And it says in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 that he had that plan in place before the foundation of the world. So he knew our needs before we did, right? Ephesians 1, 3 
says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so there he's meeting our daily spiritual needs, the things we need to be benefited spiritually. 2 Peter 1.3 says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So God gives sacrificially for our spiritual needs. Also, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 talks about the armor of God. And so he's given us protection spiritually. He's provided that in advance, and he provides that as a good father. He delights in us by meeting those needs. He also provides for our physical needs. Just so you know, I could always email this out to you. So if I go a little fast, but time is of the essence, ladies. Tell you, it goes fast. He's met our physical needs, which we see from the beginning, Genesis 1, in every detail of creation he planned out. Our distance from the sun, right? Food, water, air, all our perfect needs. Matthew 6 talks about um, not worrying for things like clothing or food. And it says your heavenly father knows that you need these things. So he meets our physical needs as well. He also meets our emotional needs. From the beginning, he saw with Adam that it was not good for man to be alone. So he provided a helper for Adam to meet, help meet some of those emotional needs. He's provided a family, right? Be fruitful and multiply. So that, that helps. He's provided the church, the body of Christ, relational things so that we, those emotional needs are met. And he's provided purpose. Um, Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea. So we, part of meeting our emotional needs, he gave us purpose in life. And he did that from the beginning with Adam. Okay, so he's met our needs. He's also, as a good father, he gives us good gifts. Matthew 7.11 says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So our good Father gives us good gifts for our benefit because he alone truly knows what is good for us. And he delights in us and he gave and so that he could have fellowship with us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. These are a few examples of how we see clearly that he desires close, intimate relationship with us. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus talking to one of the churches, seven churches. So he's there, just a visible picture of like, let me in. I want to have fellowship with you. John 15.4 says, abide in me and I in you. Make yourself at home in him. So how can we, if we take that idea of God delights in us, how can we take that as mothers and show delight or love for our children? I think first we need to meditate on God's love, which we kind of just talked about that. But as we, like Ephesians 3, I'm in a Bible study right now with some gals, and we're doing Ephesians. And Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 talks about Paul is praying for these believers that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And the word comprehend, that they would be able to comprehend is this idea of laying hold of with force um, and understanding in their mind, to, let, to grasp it with force. And then it says, and to know the love of Christ. And know there is this experiential love, to experience his love. And so at the end it says, to fill us up to all the fullness of God. So as we meditate on God's love and his delight for us, then we're filled up better to lavish that on our kids. So I think that would be the first place that we start. Now, we can give 
sacrificially of ourselves, which I'm sure I don't doubt that many of you do every day, give sacrificially of yourself. But we can give to meet their needs sacrificially, just like God did for us. Um, I think God designed us as moms in a way with the expectation that we're going to give ourselves for our kids. We want to sacrifice for them. I think the hard part sometimes is being able to discern um, between what's truly good, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It's easy for us to confuse their desires as being what is good for them. And oftentimes their desires and even our own don't necessarily line up with our true needs, like God knows our true needs. So, just as God gave sacrificially of himself through Christ, we need to give sacrificially to our children, not for their wants, but for their needs. So spiritually, we can't really meet their spiritual needs like God can, right? But we can do things to cultivate that in their lives. And so I think the first one, and one of the most important, is prayer. Like Patty said, I think it's maybe an underused tool in our lives a lot of times. So I would encourage you that if you have children, pray every day for them. If they are not believers yet, pray every day that they would come to believe in Jesus at an early age. If they are believers, pray every day that they would grow strong in the Lord. Pray that the soil of their heart would be fertile so that the word of God would take root and bear fruit. I think also pray as a family. Um, I know we just get so busy, but really taking time to regularly pray as a family. And I think teaching your kids to pray. Like Patty talked about people who feel uncomfortable praying in front of other people. I think if you as moms start young with them and just get them used to praying as a family out loud and kind of teaching them what things to pray for, encouraging them to go beyond, pray that so-and-so will have a good day. Encouraging them to go beyond, pray that they'll be safe. Trying to help them begin to think about ways to pray for people um, that spiritually benefit them. You know, praying that they would walk with the Lord, that they would come to know Jesus. Things like that. Teaching them how to pray and having them do it. I think also talking about spiritual things, sin, creation, God's design. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. Just that idea of God's principles that we are having these conversations all throughout the day. Um, I have a handout too. These extra things that I wanted to say, but for time purposes I couldn't say it. So you can take those and some random scattered thoughts if you want to see those too. Um, Another way that we can cultivate their spiritual needs is prioritizing time in the word. So reading, memorizing individually. It really starts with us moms, right? we got to be in the word so that we can be grounded and help them grow in that as well. And I think the last one I want to say about spiritual needs is to really be engaged in the body of Christ. It's one thing to attend to church, and that is a benefit to your children. I mean, my parents did that for me, and I'm very grateful for that. But to really, really be engaged with other believers, living life with them. Um, Because Ephesians 4 talks about God giving us spiritual gifts for the building up of one another in Christ. So your children need to be engaged in the body of Christ so that they can benefit spiritually from other people's gifts and then they can benefit others with their own. All right. Physically, I think we kind of know how to give sacrificially to meet their needs. The only thing I would just encourage you here is just to ask yourself, what things am I doing or allowing right now that will make it more difficult for them in the future with regards to their physical bodies? Or what things am I not doing right now 
relationships that are hindering them. You know, just kind of thinking through those things. Um, patterns are set early for a lot of that stuff. Sleep, food, exercise, all of that. So help them, help them think through that well. Emotionally, my mouth never gets dry. Emotionally, how can we give sacrificially to meet their needs? I think the first one is love the Lord ourselves. Cultivate an intimate relationship with the Lord. That takes purpose. I think the more we abide in Christ, the more steady our emotions are. Do you think that, right? The more you're walking with the Lord, you're just a little more stable. That's going to benefit your children. Um, tell them often that you love them. Tell them that you're just so you love that God gave them to you as your son or daughter. Cultivate a healthy marriage. So I can't go into that. Cammie's going to teach a breakout on that. You guys can go to that in a little bit. Um, but I know some of you might be in situations where we can't control our spouse, right? We can't make them invest in a healthy marriage. We can do what we can. But I just encourage you that if you're in a situation where maybe your spouse isn't motivated, one way you could cultivate health and emotional stability for your children is still guarding what you say about your spouse in front of your children and how you treat them, that you still honor them. Um, again, come back to emotional stability, prioritizing participation in the body of Christ. Again, don't just attend church. Be part of the body. Find a couple other families like Patty talked about that you are really living life with. Another way to cultivate healthy emotional needs is to help them make wise choices in their friendships. And I just feel very strongly in this area that we as mothers, we do have a say in who our kids spend time with. So we need to be looking for people that will sharpen them and encourage them and build them up. And last, I think establish clear boundaries. Clear boundaries with your kids helps bring security and stability in their lives. So those are some ways we can help give to meet their needs sacrificially. Also, like God gives us good gifts, even though we're evil, Matthew says, um, we still like to give good gifts. So I would encourage you in this area to distinguish between wants and needs. So I think as moms, if we step back to reflect on why God doesn't give us everything we ask, it's because he says no sometimes because it's not good for us, right? And so I think as moms, he doesn't withhold things because he doesn't, he's stingy or he doesn't want us to enjoy things. He wants to give us good things, but he holds be withholds because he knows what's truly good. And so for us, and this is, this is a problem I sometimes have, is my kids will ask something and it might not be a big deal at all. And I'm just like, I just say no, or I just say yes, just really quick. And I don't even think about it. So I think a practical thing for us is just slowing down that answer and just kind of contemplating it a little bit more of like, what's the outcome? One of my favorite Christian comedians is Tim Hawkins. Yeah, okay. So one of his fa my favorite sets of his is it's the gift of no. And so go home and look it up and watch it later today. But he just walks around and he says, I love giving my kids the gift of no. 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 He he's, he's way funnier. But um, you should go watch that. So I think it's okay to give our kids the gift of no, to say no to them at times. And last, another way I feel like we can delight in our kids is seeking fellowship with our kids. I think for us as moms, most of us are the keeper of the schedule in life. So I think evaluating our time and allowing for margin is going to be really important. Not overbooking ourselves or our kids in activities that just keep them going and leave no opportunity for downtime at home. I think 
with this is it's easy. It's just so easy. There's so many good things. I'm telling you. But I think if regularly, once a semester or every few months, you just step back and you say, okay, what do we have going? What's too much? Is there any place we can cut back? Um, a, a lady who used to be my mentor, she, I try to implement this and I feel like it's helpful, but we try to um, protect two nights a week. So two nights a week where we're home as a family. Um, maybe you want more than that. You know, maybe one is good. I don't know, but just trying to really regularly evaluate that. Um, I have some ideas on the handout too of just how to seek fellowship time with your kids and cultivate that. So that's the first D, looking at how we can delight in our kids sacrificially. Second D is discipline. This is the fun one. This is what everyone loves to talk about in our world today. Um, so we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews. Bear with me. It's a long passage, but it's excellent. And sorry, the font's so small, but I didn't want to divide it onto two little slides. So it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Okay, you see the expectation? There's an expectation there. There is discipline. And we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short period of time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So who does the Lord discipline? Those he loves, right? And why does he discipline them? Because he loves them, right? One. And why else? <laughs> yes, because it'll will it'll yield that you're getting too far, Brandy. That's the outcome. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that. It says it will share in His holiness, right? And it's for our good. So, what does the process seem like? It seems sorrowful. Okay, it's going to seem sorrowful. It's also a training. It says those who have been trained by it. So it's a process, investment, time, energy. So there's an element of it's painful. There's like the word scourge kind of means to take the hide off. So it's, it's, it's painful. All right. But what is the outcome, Brandy? <coughs> That's right. The peaceful fruit of righteousness, holiness. It's growth to be more like him, yielded to him. I think an, an added element that's kind of aside is like it talks about being illegitimate children. Like if you're being disciplined by the Lord, it's like a security. Like, oh, I'm a real kid. You know, so there's a security for our children when we discipline. Um, another passage, Revelation 3:19 says, "Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline." Proverbs 3:11 and 12. That's actually quoted in that Hebrews passage. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So again, motive is love and delight. So we can clearly see that discipline is something that God knows is good for us. As a loving father, I would say that the world overall is telling us the opposite. Mm -hmm. It usually tells us that it's unloving to discipline our kids, to do things that might make them feel bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, Clearly, 
from this Hebrews passage and the others, the process will seem sorrowful in the moment for our children. But to be clear, I do want to be clear, if we discipline our children in the wrong way, out of anger, without their good in mind, for our convenience, um, it's not going to really be what God deemed it to be. Okay, And it could produce ill effects in our children's lives. But if we seek to walk by the Spirit and in line with God's Word, then discipline is one way we can imitate God's example as a wonderful, loving Father. So we see just, I won't go over all these, but some examples of scripture how, of how God disciplines his children. So Adam and Eve, right? They were given the warning, don't eat of it. If you do, you will surely die. And the consequences increased pain for Eve in childbearing. So there was a physical aspect to her discipline. Uh, Adam, by the sweat of his brow, great toil, he had to work the earth, right? That wasn't going to be there before, so it was part of the discipline. Um, that's lower right is Zacharias, which is John the Baptist's father. You know, and he didn't believe the Lord. He was disciplined. He went mute until John the Baptist was born. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. I didn't get the best pictures. Right? These were some ra- really random. That's what I got. I thought I thought it was better. Ananias and Sapphira. Um, I mean, th- their their discipline was physical death, actually. So you see, each of these examples has physical body affected in some way, either physical death, pain, difficulty, loss of ability to speak. So it's our turn. If we shift that, so how can we as mothers discipline our kids as God disciplines us? We'll look at Ephesians. Oh, too fast. Don't read that. So we need to be motivated by love, just like God's reason for disciplining us is love. For their growth and holiness as a choice to do what is best for them. We should expect, expect the process to be sorrowful, at least for our children, to feel that way. But... We can be thankful, too, because it's an opportunity for development for them. Um, We need to be willing and prepared to reprove, to chastise, to nurture, instruct. And we need to expect it to take time and energy and consistency. It said, for those who have been trained by it. Any process of training is like years, ladies. We're talking time. Okay, so practically, Ephesians 6, 4, I think this is good instruction. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So one don't and two do. So we don't want to provoke our kids to anger. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think some things that provoke our kids to anger is when we say one thing and do another. I think when we don't explain why to them about things or we don't communicate well with them, I think that can provoke them to anger. Um, The because I said so mentality for our kids can provoke them to anger. Yeah, I think just not living out what we say. I think that can do that. There are probably a whole other list of things there, but that wasn't going to be my focus today. I was going to focus on the things we do need to do. We need to instruct and we need to discipline. So instruction is the idea of admonition or exhortation. So admonition is kind of the negative, like it says set your mind through God-inspired warning. So there's kind of a warning side to admonition. And then exhortation is like the comfort, encouragement, to urge them forward type thing. So kind of the positive side of it. So instruction, we talked a little bit on prioritizing the word of God, teaching it to them, talking about it as we go throughout our day. We need to communicate clear expectations and boundaries with our kids (coughs) with warnings of consequences so that they know where they stand. They know what goes outside the fence of safety and fellowship. And instructions need to be based on the principles of God's word, which we know, but then 
the other side, I think, is, is to think, what things can I instruct them on so that they will be independent of me? And so this goes into chores and things, right? Like things that they could be independent of me, dependent on God, and interdependent with other people. So these are things that we need to be thinking about and instructing our kids on. Um, to finish off, we'll look at this. Oh, I probably should have clicked that. Oh, there it is. Okay. So we also need to discipline. Discipline has the idea of chastening, nurture, instruction, um, disciplinary correction. Okay. So discipline and instruction needs to start early. Like when we get a puppy, we don't start training them when they are 10 months old or a year or two old. Okay. We start early. So I, I my opinion, <laughs> if I can insert that here, is that you're really starting kind of around the time of mobility or the time that you can see clear defiance in your kids. So for me, as a new mom, Millie, when she was about 10 months old, she was mobile, so this kind of plays into that mobility. She was sitting in her high chair, and I had given her instruction or told her not to do something. I don't know if she was like throwing her cup on the floor. I mean, those little things are training. You need to be training them to do those things, not do those things. Um, something. And I told her not to do it, or I corrected her, or reproved her. Ten months old, she looks at me with this look, and fear pulsated through my body. Because <laughs> <laughs> her expression was, you're not in charge of me. I mean, she was ten months old, and I was just really afraid of her for a second. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't right. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm the mom, you know. <laughs> but I knew, I knew at that point. Discipline and instruction was clear, clearly needed to be implemented. And I think the range of a key time is that time till four years old is very key years to the training, discipline, and instruction of our kids. Um, children are very able to understand commands and they're able to learn to obey. So I think one way of wisdom from God's word that's not necessarily popular today is the use of the rod and spanking. So Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So foolishness is the idea that Proverbs says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So the fool says, there is no authority over me. So using the rod in an appropriate manner helps our children to acknowledge authority and ultimately someday God's authority over them. That's the goal. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So disciplining our children is loving, and even the use of rod, the rod is loving. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So there's a connection here. As we train, our children can be a delight to us and to others. So as we faith, oh, I just said that. So it's kind of the idea of liking our children while we love them, right? So I think we've all been in situations where we've been around children who are less than a delight to be around. And I'm not talking about just a bad day. I'm not talking kids have their moments and they can have hard times. I understand that. But kids who are consistently hard to be around, that they reject authority, they're demanding, they're easily angered, and they act on anger towards others. Um, I think most of the time, these kids need more consistent instruction and discipline in their lives. And it takes great courage, I think, and resolve as moms um, to truly give ourselves over 
to this process of training and disciplining and instructing them for the well-being of our children. It is not an easy road, not at all. You should not expect it to be easy and you should expect it to take a lot of time. But as we give ourselves over to that, I think it will yield fruit in our life because we're being trained and in our children's lives. So some principles of using the rod. Oh, sorry, I didn't click that over. Proverbs 29, 17, do you need that? I think it's really important that we don't use the rod in anger. Um, I think this is where the idea of the rod and spanking get a really bad rap in our society. I think many times throughout history, parents have spanked in anger. I mean, I spanked in anger. I will admit that when I, at times parenting. But I'm just saying when you take it so far that you're abusing your child emotionally or physically, and I, I mean, some of you might have experienced that in childhood, and you might have scars from that today. And that is not the right way to go about it. I'm saying it's not the right. But just because people have done it in the wrong way, it doesn't negate the truth of wisdom that God has set forth in his word. And I think often the reason people spank in anger, we as parents, because we've let certain things go and go and go and go, and it just builds up. And then we just explode because we're so frustrated why they keep doing the same thing, but we didn't address something earlier when we could have been calm and addressed it and corrected it. So, um, again, we need to seek to administer the rod without anger, not in anger. We need to administer it for defiance of authority or clear disregard of instruction. We don't want to use the rod for just childish behavior um, or accidents or forgetfulness type thing. Um, I think, well, there's more that could be said about forgetfulness. There's some training there, but um, needs to be clear defiance where, where they're saying, you're not in charge of me type thing. And that can look a lot of different ways. So ask the Lord for wisdom to clarify that. It needs to be coupled with communication. So again, it's like discipline and instruction need to go together. It's kind of like love, no, no, sorry, grace and truth. If you have only grace, you leave it open to licentiousness. If you have only truth, you leave it open to legalism. But they need to be coupled. So we need to be talking to our kids. We need to tell them why they're getting spanked, what they did wrong. We need to affirm our love for them. We need to hug them and hold them, tell them we love them, pray with them. It's a process, okay? Walk through it. We need to be consistent. Admittedly, none of us are going to be perfectly consistent, right? Um, but we need to do the best we can. But if we give an expectation or command, we need to follow through if it's not obeyed. That takes sacrifice, ladies. Right? We get to doing something and we don't want to be interrupted or we're tired or we're just lazy, whatever. These are hindrances to consistency. So just be on guard to, against those, those things that kind of would keep us from being consistent. It's going to take courage and resolve. And I love this quote from a guy from Focus on the Family needs a firm, consistent hand with a soft, loving heart. Because again, for, our, for their good, right? That's why we're doing it, for their good. Other ways of disciplining our kids, um, I think reproof, right? Some kids are very sensitive to just a verbal reprimand um, and something that they did wrong. Logical consequences in other areas, like missed privileges, you know, or they have to do extra, if they break something or spill something, you know, maybe they have to do extra chores to help pay for it or something like that, right? So there needs to be consequences there. Apple cider vinegar. <laughs> Some of you might think 
I am hardcore, but <laughs> it's better than soap, people, okay? It's actually good for your body, apple cider vinegar. So with the mother, I don't know if you guys know, with the little chunky stuff that floats around in apple cider vinegar, the original. But with my kids, I did start using that with regards to words a lot so that they would have a physical taste of what their words sound like. So that could be bickering amongst themselves or disrespectful, talk to me. Um, so anyway, that's a good little resource if you want to <laughs> utilize that. Um, okay, older children. So, so really, ideally, what's happening is it's, if, we're, if we're working hard, if we're being faithful as we can with discipline and instruction in those early years, what we should see, not that, not that that ends at the age of four, but I'm not saying it ends at the age of four. There, you're still going to be doing that. But there should be this transition of that type of parenting to where it becomes in adolescence. You should not be spanking in adolescence, I don't think, because of just a humility element for them. But adolescence should then become this time of rich teaching, conversation, getting at the heart of things because your child is yielded to your authority as mom, you know? And so because of that, it just opens up that opportunity. Now, I don't want you to feel hopeless. Like if you haven't really put in much training or you haven't maybe disciplined and instructed because you didn't know or whatever it might be, I don't want you to feel hopeless. Um, if your children are older, I think it's just now at this point, <coughs> you need to be really talking to them and say, I didn't realize some things maybe I could have implemented when you were younger. So we're gonna try to start implementing those things now. And so again, it's gonna be kind of similar of, of not in anger, lots of communication, affirming your love as you discipline and apply consequences that are right for them. Um, I have on my um, handout thing, there's some books that I, I recommend and I'm sure talking to Nicole Stomper and some other ladies that you could get some books and ideas from. Um, Can I ask one thing? Oh, what, sure. what age do you consider adolescent? Um, so my youngest is ten, mm -hmm. and there was so I don't I don't know I, I would say I don't know. Put you on the spot. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> it's not law. Whatever I say is not law. Yeah, I just know you're at. We haven't spanked our 10 year old in quite a while, I would say. But I do know of a family back in Edmond. They were really, really godly people, too. And they had quite a few kids. But their 10 year old, I know, uh, mom had dad come home and spank him at one point because he was having some issues with defiance towards her. And so even that, I mean, there might be a, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would say a whole lot past 10, but I guess it would depend on the situation and the child. And also, like, have they been trained much prior to that? Um, yeah. Um, and again, again, prayer and asking the Lord for mm -hmm. wisdom in these areas. He will guide. He will direct. But in other wise, godly women. I had a weird, I was probably, Yeah. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but I mean, like, 
and I mean, I never got spanked again, and I never. And you remember it? I remember How very. How friends with her dad does that? Vividly, like, but he like flipped it into like, well, you know, God takes punishment, right. somebody has to take the punishment. There was something wrong. There's then. a consequence. Oh, there's okay. a consequence has to be yeah. taken care of okay. oh, yeah. for the infraction, yeah, for the sin. That's 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 I see. Yeah. I don't remember, and that part, I just remember being like, this is so weird. <laughs> 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 I just like blocked out. <laughs> 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 I, mean, I, just, I remember the lesson. Like, so it does <laughs> seem like 10 is that, like even for yeah, you as a child, you felt that kind of like, ugh, you know. Um, yeah. But I just think if you do have children that are older than that, and, and it, you just, maybe they're not really yielded to you, I just think start now, start having clear expectations of things, applying the consequences, follow through, loving, firm, firm, what, what he said. <laughs> firm, <laughs> consistent hand with a soft, loving heart. Okay? So as, oh, and, and, and with, as your kid gets old, kids get older into adolescence, granted, my kid's only 14. So that was the other thing I was going to say at the beginning is that it's a little intimidating talking because my oldest is 14. There's a lot of parenting that I have left to learn in the scheme of things. But I think as they get older and then they show their responsibility, they show their faithfulness, of course, that opens them up for greater freedom right, and trustworthiness. So as a recap, we can seek to raise our kids in the manner that God parents us by delighting in our kids, giving ourselves over to meet their greatest needs, discerning those, and by disciplining them in love. And as we do so, the Lord will work to grow them and us more like Christ. So let's pray. Well, that's all for True to the Bible podcast this time. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you did, or if you want to listen to some other lessons on True to the Bible podcast, make sure that you subscribe or like this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that you heard or you're interested in how you can be saved, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Again, thanks for joining us for this lesson, and we hope to hear from you soon.